when I saw this opportunity that my whole schooling would be paid for, including studying abroad. For somebody who grew up in Peru in a shantytown um, in the outskirts of Lima, who lived in a one-bedroom house, not even a one-bedroom I think that opportunity, that certainty, that would not come out of my pocket and it would not come out of my parents' pocket. I took it. I took that opportunity. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the Early Career Moves podcast. Today, I have Natalie Flores on the show. Natalie is actually a fellow peruana. She's from Peru, and I'm also uh, half Peruvian. She has her own podcast that she'll talk about on the episode about what it's like to be a Peruvian immigrant. She talks about her experience coming to the U.S. when she was a young child and what it's been like to navigate the educational system and be able to get very elite degrees. She went to Smith College for undergrad, and then she also went to the University of Michigan Ross School of Business, which is obviously a phenomenal elite program. And she also comes with it with a lens of being very aware of the financial privileges involved in being able to access those kinds of degrees. She's someone who is very passionate about personal finance and working towards financial freedom. And so that's very present in our conversation and she talks about you know avoiding debt through that process via scholarships or just looking for funding and so if you're someone who has wondered you know is it possible to fund an elite degree like an MBA and what is it like and what what are the considerations what's the ROI is it worth it this is a really great episode for you to hear firsthand from Natalie okay enjoy Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. I'm really excited to welcome Natalie Flores to the show. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you, Priscilla. It's really nice to be here with you today. Yeah, Natalie and I are both part of the MBA Latinx network. We both, you know, have our MBAs and we're really excited to to get connected by a mutual friend. And Natalie also has a podcast. She's a podcaster. So, Natalie, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself just so the audience has a sense of who you are, but then also go into your podcast and tell us what it's all about. Sure. Um, So Natalie Flores, I am originally from Peru. And that's one thing we have in similar, we have a similar Peruvian background. I was born in Peru, I came to the US when I was around 10 years old, and then went to school at Smith College, got my engineering degree, became an IT consultant, did that for several years, and then decided to pivot. I think recently, you posted something like don't be afraid to start over. And that's something that I 
had to think through as I was thinking about business school and pivoting to an industry that I was more passionate about than my consulting career at that time. And I wanted to transition to financial services. And so decided to go to business school. And now I am a senior associate at JP Morgan Chase. And so I'm very excited to be in this industry. There are definitely ups and downs in this industry, but I am learning a lot. And it aligns with a lot of my personal passion for personal finance. And in terms of my podcast, I launched a podcast last summer called Peruvians of USA, where I interview Peruvians, half Peruvians, Peruvian Americans on their experience, their immigrant experience, or their experience here growing up in the US. And it's been really rewarding to meet different people and to hear their stories. And I think that I'm really happy that I can contribute to allowing for more Peruvians to be role models for others. Growing up here in the US, there is a strong Latinx community. But within that Latinx community, there are a couple groups that are majority, right? We have, at least in the East Coast and the DC area, we have a lot of Latinx folks from Central America and Mexico. And then as when you go up north to the Northeast, you get the Caribbean, a lot of Caribbean. Just growing up, even though I was always very supportive and very proud of being Latinx and supporting Latinx community, I never saw a lot of Peruvians. I never saw a lot of role models that were Peruvians. And so I wanted to create a space where we can sort of see each other reflected in different careers and just in different areas of life. I love that because you're right. I think that the Peruvian identity in the U.S. is just not as visible as being Mexican or being Puerto Rican or other groups that are maybe bigger or louder. And so I'm curious, what inspired you to say, I'm going to take some time out of my nine to five, out of my personal life to create this podcast? What was it in you? Because I know for you probably felt like there's a need for this, right? But what was it about maybe your own? personal experience being an immigrant that made you say, I'm going to go for this? That's a great question. So from the personal side, the question that I repeatedly asked myself growing up here in the US was, where did I fit in terms of my Peruvian background, right? Was I going to lean hard into being Peruvian and staying abreast of everything happening in Peru and staying 100% connected with my family there? I still have my grandmother who lives there, lots of aunts, lots of uncles, lots of cousins, or do I want to lean into my American side and learn this whole new country, this culture that has so many subcultures in history that it's has its fingerprints in other countries, or can I manage to do both? And so even as, as recent as grad school, there was a Latinx club, right? And there was also an international, like Latin American, and it's for international students coming from Latin America. And I found myself, all right, which one is my strongest community? Which one am I going to dedicate the most time in? As business school is super busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you have to be very intentional how you spend your time. And so I had to ask myself, where, which community am I going to try to contribute the most to? And so that's just been a question in adulthood a lot as well. And last summer, I thought that I am probably not the only Peruvian in the U.S. who has these questions, right? And so I decided to interview others and sort of see where, how they think through 
where they land on, on that question, right? And some of them choose to be 100% Peruvian all the time, even if they live here, they're in touch with all the news, all the politics that are going on in Peru, maybe even more so than the social issues that are happening here in the U.S. And others choose, yes, my ba- say others choose to say, yes, my background is Peruvian American. I I have the history, I have the culture, I have the food. Thank you very much. But I am an American. That will be my priority, right? And and I don't think there's a right answer. I just was incredibly curious to see how people thought through that process. So now let's go back to your own career story. I know that's something that we also have in common is that we both went to all women's colleges. We both went to Seven Sisters colleges. I don't know about you, but I definitely didn't grow up thinking I would go to an all women's college. It definitely just sort of happened for me. But how did that happen for you? Like, how did you end up going to Smith? Sure. Uh, I think I was going to end up going to an all women's college. But I will say that I will pro- I probably identify myself as a feminist very early in life. <laughs> so in retrospect, uh, I guess I'm not surprised I ended up in an all-women's college. So the way I ended up, so before, when I graduated, when I graduated high school, and I actually wanted to share this because I think maybe there are not enough stories. I decided it was my choice, even though I got into other four-year schools, and some of them very good schools, I decided to go to a community college because... My so because I had it was an honors program at a community college, a local community college in Maryland. That's where I grew up. It was Montgomery Scholars in Montgomery College, and I decided to do that because one, they had offered me a full ride for two years, and including with that, it was that I had the opportunity to study abroad at the University of Cambridge in the UK, and all of it was paid for. And so this Montgomery College, this program was sort of the purpose of us to attract talented students to the community college. And then there was a lot of support to transfer to other schools. And I didn't grow up with the expectation that my parents would pay for school or that they would even get loans for school. And I always also understood that I didn't want to rack up loans to pay for my school. So I tried to applied to as many scholarships as possible. And when I saw this opportunity that my whole schooling would be paid for, including studying abroad, which included the house and board, as well as the actual flight there and back. For somebody who grew up in Peru in shantytown um, in the outskirts of Lima, who lived in a one-bedroom house, not even a one-bedroom house, it's one room, the house was whole one room, I think that opportunity, that certainty, that would not come out of my pocket and it would not come out of my parents' pocket and that it would allow me not only to go to school, but also to work during that time. I took it. I took that opportunity. And then when I was there, one of my physics professor mentioned Smith College, ended up applying and as well as to other schools. And I got into other engineering schools as well. I was an engineering major at Montgomery College, and I remember receiving the offer letter with the financial aid package and the scholarships that came with it. And Smith College, to be honest, gave me the most scholarship, where I only had to get student loans of $10,000 to cover the rest of it. And even the local state school 
could not do that. And I, I guess there's a pattern here where I have been very financially aware at a young age. And I remember my dad saying, oh, you should just go to the state school because it's more affordable. And I remember showing him the letter saying, yes, the state school is more affordable, but Smith College is giving me almost a full ride. And so it's actually more affordable for me to go to Smith College. And I remember my mom being like, you know what, hija, <laughs> you go wherever you want to. And it seems Smith College could be a great opportunity for you. So aside from the financial side, the campus is beautiful. I love the idea of being around women who are doing great things. I was part of one of the first classes of their engineering program. And so I love the idea of being one of the pioneers of the engineering program. Yeah. I think that one of the themes that you mentioned is always being very aware of the financial investment required to get an education and to be able to rise in your career and being nervous about, like you were saying, taking on debt, taking out loans. I remember my senior year of high school going through that similar conversation that you were saying with your parents with my mom. And my mom was just like, She was terrified. She was so scared that I had worked so hard in high school and that we wouldn't be able to afford college. And I went to Wellesley College. Wellesley was also met 100% of our financial needs. And so that was a no-brainer. And actually, it was cheaper for me to go there than it was to go to University of Texas at Austin as an undergraduate. So very similar experience. So yeah, once you were at Smith, it sounds like you found your direction, right, with engineering. How did that inform your decision to take your first job? Like, how did you end up getting your first job? Sure. So I had decided to major in engineering, interestingly enough, in high school. I had a family friend who's four years older than me, and she majored in engineering and She was my role model growing up and she got all the scholarships. (laughs) But in terms of finding a job, when I was at Smith, I attended NSPE, which is the National Black uh, Engineering Society. And I attended their conference in, I think it was in Orlando, Florida. And they have a career fair and (laughs) any student kind of goes around and, and finds and talks to different companies. Ultimately, I decided to not pursue engineering as a profession because I was somebody who needed variety day to day. I needed a lot of variety. And I also had the trouble bug. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and at the end of college, I got I caught the trouble bug. And so I remember talking to engineering firms. And this might be different now, right? This was like a long time ago. So it might be different now with engineering firms. And I would talk to engin- recruiters for engineering firms. And It seemed like the job was very, it was going to be the same thing day in and day out until I got promoted to the next role. And so that was not exciting to me. And I remember talking to a recruiter from a consulting firm. And I believe I asked him or her, I don't remember what I would be doing. And I remember the answer was like, it depends on your project. It depends on your location. It depends on your role within that project. And you get to travel as well to where you depend to the client location. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> There's a lot of depends. And I remember 
like him or her say, yeah, the roles can range anywhere from a couple months to a year, probably years on the longer side. And so to me, it was like, so I get to change jobs, basically, like every couple of months. And so that to me was super exciting for some reason at the age of, I don't know, 22, 20, however old I was at that time. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I pivoted from having an engineering education to going into IT consulting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I know you landed at Accenture, which is such an amazing, you know, place to land. And you were there a long time, right? You were there for eight years. Is that right? Yes, I was there for eight years. Yeah. I know that you ended up going to business school. You went to Ross. At what point did you decide an MBA is for me? It's in the cards. And what was your process like getting to the MBA? (laughs) How long, how much time do you have? I know. (laughs) Um, and I laugh because people that know me personally, this was several years in the making process. I've been wanting to go to business school probably two years after I graduated from undergrad, or I wanted to go to graduate school period. Um, but engineering school kicked my butt. <laughs> it did. And, and so I think engineering school kind of burned me out and, and made me question my own skills and ability to succeed academically that I feared grad school even like now in retrospect I'm like I had nothing to fear about business school (laughs) but I had a genuine fear of grad school because I was like oh my gosh it's probably the workload is so much more it's more complex and that is probably true but now in retrospect yeah I was more than qualified to go to business school and so I think I was approaching 29 or so I'm in my 30s now And I remember thinking, if I'm going to do it, this is like the last kind of chance that I have that I'm able to do this where I am, you know, young enough to be able to take two years off from working. But as I mentioned earlier, too, I have always been very financially aware. And I knew that I did not want to go into debt to go to business school. I did not want to go, or at least I wanted to minimize how much debt I would go into. And my approach as my approach was as with anything, I tapped into different resources in terms of like uh, people. And I asked them a lot of questions. So Ross was one of my top schools early on. And I remember going to one of those business school conferences and in one of the sessions, there was a panel and somebody asked a question about, hey, are any of you willing to mentor us, you know, through the process of applying to business school? And this gentleman, um, Gabriel, said, yes, if you get two other people with you, I would mentor three, three of you. This was in D.C. I'll meet with you once a month and go through what does it take to apply to business school. And when I heard that, <laughs> I think I jumped at the opportunity. I, I found this person who asked a question and I asked them or her, uh, I said, hey, did you find a, a second person or a third person to join this group? And she said, no. And then this other guy joined this group and, and asked her the same thing. And so the three of us connected and then went up to this panelist. And he said, great, let's meet at this coffee shop next month bring me like your thoughts behind he just he actually gave us homework and and this gentleman was a Ross alum and I think that speaks a lot to the Ross School of Business and the people that you meet there everybody I've met alum or student or faculty has been has gone above and beyond anything I expected and Gabriel 
this panelist connected me with his network with everybody. And I asked a lot of questions. I want to really understand what this process was like. What does it take financially? What does the classroom look like? The social life? What do you actually learn? I would ask questions. Was it worth it? And you get mixed responses sometimes for people. And I wanted to research as much as I could. And then I decided to study for the GMAT, study for the GRE. The GMAT scared me. And so then IRAS also takes GRE and I said, you know what, why not? There's nothing, there's no shame in just going for the GRE. I already know that RAS is my number one choice. And so I decided to do the GRE instead. And I said, if I choose to do another, another master's degree, like I have the GRE under my belt. And so I also share this because I know there's a GMAT scares a lot of people. And, and so if the if there's an opportunity for you to take the GRE instead, I say do it. It depends on what schools you're targeting. But so it was a several year process. And but I decided in 2016, this was it like this is the year I'm taking the GMAT, which ended up being the GRE later. And this is the time I am applying, I'm going for it. The worst thing that could happen is no. And then that's fine. Life goes on. Or I could try again later if that's what I decide to do. Applied the fall of 2016 got in early 2017 and started business school the fall of 2017. Yeah, it's such a long process. I went through the same process and it's scary. It's be- And I, I also was similar to you. I was older. I was 29 when I applied. So yeah, it was just scary, the financial investment, leaving two years of an income, right? And then trying to figure out like, how are you going to pay for all of this? Together, it's easily 200K, right? When you think about tuition plus personal living. And similar to you, I I definitely couldn't ask my parents for a dime, right? That was going to be on me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really nerve wracking decision to take, especially as someone who's not getting help and having to figure it out completely on their own. So what did you think of your MBA experience? Was it worth it? I knew this question is coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> as soon as I said that when I was sharing, was it worth it? So I'll, this is like a two-part answer. It depends on what your criteria is to decide what's worth it, right? So I don't want to give a blanket answer for somebody to say yes or no. There are some folks who this is their launching. They're launching their career to a more profitable career. Perhaps they're coming from a nonprofit or government work. And so business school will definitely launch your career to something that is more profitable if that's what you choose to be it, to make it. If, it's, if you want to go into consulting, you want to go into investment banking. I was already in consulting and I was going to financial services in a sort of general management marketing side, right? So did this launch, does, does this give, gave me, launch my career for the fastest it could have? To be honest, no. But that wasn't why I went because I wanted those two years to really focus on the areas that I was passionate about. And one of them was financial services. It was that industry, trying to understand how that industry and not from an investment side. I did not want to be an investment banker. I had already I already knew what the consulting hours was (laughs) and the consulting life. And I did not want the investment banking life. And and I'm sure others can speak to that better. Um, I wanted to understand what financial services, how they can, how it can help society, how it can better serve the underserved communities, how it can reach out to immigrants, how it can 
provide better services. And so it was either, it, so I was looking at FinTech, I was looking at big banks, I was looking at also not some nonprofit work, I was looking at entrepreneurship. And so for me, it was worth it because I got the opportunity to lean into the areas that I was passionate about. It was worth it because I did apply through the consortium and we can talk about what that is. And I ended up getting a full scholarship. So my investment was different than the investment of someone who did not have that. And I was very lucky and very privileged to have received that. And I had also worked, as you mentioned, in consulting for eight years already. And so I had saved quite a bit. I had saved quite a bit to be able to cover a lot of my expenses in business school. So I didn't have to go into debt. And I say all of this because I, I want to provide clarity as to why all of this was worth it to me, because I was old enough that I had more or less prepared financially for it. And also because I knew that my objective in business school wasn't at the end of it, let me make the most money as possible and let me be as senior as possible in a firm. It was how can I truly lean, lean into the areas that I am passionate about? And I, I also realized how privileged that is to say, and, but I do want to provide that transparency. Yeah, I think that's really well said because you're right. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's goals look different. And there are so many variables that can just dramatically change what you're trying to get out of the experience. And sometimes it's age. Sometimes it's like what life stage you're in. And definitely your career priorities, right? Is it salary? Is it fulfillment? Is it more balance or whatever? Everyone in business school, I felt, was looking for something different. And so maybe that's the benefit is like having that launch pad to do whatever it is that you're trying to do next. And so as you reflect on all of your early career years, what is one lesson that comes to mind, especially thinking about the personal finance lens? From my financial perspective, because I have touched on a lot of personal finance, um, mm -hmm. the lesson that I have tried to keep in my present front and center of my life has been to minimize lifestyle inflation. And what this means is that as I mentioned, I came from very humble beginnings in Peru. Fortunately, my mom has been someone that it's not flashy, who's not flashy, who is very humble and the things that and how she lives life. And so I think that's something that I picked up from her. So when I graduated from college and I started making the big bucks, right, <laughs> in a consulting firm, I didn't... I control lifestyle inflation, right? I didn't buy the latest and greatest car. I didn't buy the latest and greatest TV. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to make, I want to make sure that like, people don't feel that there's nothing, there's anything wrong with it. It's about your values and your priorities, right? And, and I think as long as you align your life and how you manage your money with that, you'll be fine. But I think that's something that I've, try to make sure I, I have front and center. I never live in above my paycheck. And I can definitely go into a lot more <laughs> personal <laughs> finance lessons. But if there's one, it, it's, it's that. It's control lifestyle inflation and living below your means. Awesome. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like you dropped lots of gems and lots of insight into different parts of your career. So thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell people where to find you again and find your podcast? 
Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. The podcast is available in all streaming platforms. And I don't touch on personal finance and the platform is very <laughs> Peruvian focused. And so I just want to make myself available for anybody who finds themselves. I just don't know where to even begin. Just feel free to reach out to me, as I mentioned, at Peruvians of USA and Instagram. And Priscilla, if you want to share my LinkedIn and whatever, I'm also happy to connect with people there. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being with us. Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com and sign up to get your free 20-page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.